Hey friends, before we hop into this very special episode with Ritu Basin, I just wanted to let you know that today is actually a special day for Ritu because her book is available. That's right, it's a launch day. Her book, We've Got This, Unlocking the Beauty of Belonging, is available wherever books are sold. See, many of us feel this constant pressure to mask and kind of curate who we are, but I don't think we realize how much that actually hurts us. I know this is something that I struggled with at various points throughout my life. And the thing is, we don't have to live this way. Ritu knows firsthand that the path to belonging can be both beautiful and hard. And now she's a passionate advocate for authenticity because she's living proof of what can happen when you stand in your power while fighting the hate and hardships in your way. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ritu as much as I did. And after you listen to this episode, make sure you go and get her book. All right, let's hop into the conversation. If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, beautiful human. Welcome to another episode of In the Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen. My guest today is Ritu Basin. She's an award-winning speaker, author, and expert in belonging, equity, and leadership. She's also the CEO of Basin Consulting, Inc., a DEI consulting firm. Ritu is living proof of what can happen when you stand in your power while fighting the hate and hardships in your way. Ritu experienced the constant sting of racist bullying growing up while also struggling with culture tension about her identity. She carried her childhood trauma into adulthood, where she felt constant pressure to mask her authentic self across most of her relationships and in her work life. Looking to transform her life through the power of healing, Ritu left her corporate job. She launched her consulting firm. She became a yoga teacher, studied trauma and wellness and healing practices, wrote a best-selling book, and has committed her life to a movement focused on belonging. I am really looking forward to this conversation. So let's get in the details with Ritu. Hello, my friend. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. Absolutely. If you don't mind me sharing, before we got on, I was really impressed at the gentle way that you corrected me in saying your name. And I wanted to share that because I have a friend who I've known from years back and her name was Ritu. So I just thought, oh, this is also another Ritu. I came on, I said, hello. And again, very gently and kindly, you taught me how to pronounce your name. You even gave me a good pointer on how I can make sure I hit the T correctly. And I just... I was in awe, even in this first interaction, how you fully embody your authentic self. That even ties back to the way that you pronounce your name. And that, honestly, that got my heart even more open to this conversation that I know is going to help so many because it already helped me in less than a minute. So I appreciate you and I'm looking forward to this conversation. So again, just thank you for being here. Oh, bless. Thank you so much. And you know, as you're, as you're sharing those beautiful words, thank you. I'm feeling a surge of emotions rush through me. Like I can even feel it behind my eyelids when I can tell I'm going to, um, when I feel like I want to cry, whether it's sad, ugly, unhappy cry, or it's the awe gratitude. Mm -hmm. And I just, I'm grateful for what you've shared. And I feel gratitude deep in my heart for my own 
growth and journey to stand in my power to the point where I'm able to say to someone, actually, I go by the Indian pronunciation, or actually, it's pronounced Ritu and not Ritu, not anglicized. I go by the Indian pronunciation because for years, for decades, I didn't feel the power inside me to mm. share this is who I am. Mm. And this is how I would like you to refer to me. Mm. And this is how I want you to honor me. And I think the gratitude and the emotions inside me reflect my recognition of my growth and mm. that life is a journey of growth. It can be, but we have to choose it. And so, so thank you. Well, and now because of this interaction, any woman who I meet, whose name is Ritu, I will say it correctly and she will feel seen just because of this moment that you shared with me. So I see how it's, how your work and you standing in your authenticity is already creating a beautiful ripple effect. So let's go ahead. Let's, let's dive in. Let's actually talk about where all of this started, which is, I just mentioned in your uh, intro, I was very interested to even read more about this and, and now to learn more from you. This started way back in your childhood and the different life experiences that you went through. I'm really interested how at such a young age, how did you navigate that? How did you navigate challenges that maybe came with, you know, your cultural identity and, and any bullying that came with that as a child? How did you handle that? So it's interesting because I actually have spent a lot of time recently digging into my childhood journey because I just finished writing my new book, We've Got This, Unlocking the Beauty of Belonging. And in the book, I start off by talking about the journey of how I learned to hurt and how my soul started to hurt and carry inside me feelings of unworthiness and shame about who I am and how I've then since learned to heal and experience belonging. And as a child, so first of all, just a few uh, additional tidbits about who I am. So I'm the daughter of Indian immigrant parents who came to Canada now over 50 years ago. And I say Canada because that's where I still live. I live in Toronto. And my parents are, we're North Indian and we're Punjabi by culture and we're Sikh by faith. And speaking about pronunciation, my faith is called Sikhi or Sikhism. And I'm a Sikh. It's spelled S-I-K-H pronounced Sikh, not Sikh, as we decolonize language. And my father was a turban, beard, the full deal. And my parents actually, interestingly, they were born right in the middle of the decolonization of India when the British were finally kicked out of India. But both of them had traumatic ancestral lineages of having to contend with colonialism and then the decolonization. In fact, to the point where my mother was a displaced person. Her family fled, exiled from now Pakistan, fled to now Delhi, Delhi in India when she was just a newborn baby to flee from harm. And so they, they came to Canada to find a better life given all of the continued challenges in India, but they came at the in the early seventies and Canada, Toronto looked very different back then. And I had a front row seat to watching them experience all kinds of racism. And then I had my own journey with uh, contending with years of relentless, highly traumatizing bullying. And I also with them struggled with how 
they were struggling. And then therefore I was struggling as it relates to how they wanted to culturally raise me like, and my siblings, like, should we be very Indian? Should we be very white Canadian? Like who should we be? And so the problem is that from, as a child, I was having really difficult, painful, hurtful experiences. And I didn't know how to deal with it because this is back in the 70s and 80s, early 90s. And I, the way in which I learned to deal with my problems was to just push them down and mm-hmm. to numb mm-hmm. and to self-silence. And in fact, in my new book, We've Got This, I explained that I learned to put on what I call a PPA armor, a positivity perfection achievement armor. And so I put on a mask of, I'm so happy. Everything is great. I'm doing great. Like I became the most radiant bundle of sunshine. I was like, I'm perfect. Everything is perfect. If I only look really good and I speak well, and I am constantly achieving and doing everything perfectly, then everyone will like me and the bullying will stop. And then achievement in particular, and the connection to success for me was so deeply entrenched because if I was doing well in school, My parents were really happy because they were very driven by academic success, but also the teachers liked me. So the kids didn't like me and they were tormenting tormenting me. At least the teachers liked me. So from a very young age, I learned to put on my PPEA armor and mask and silence and push my pain down. And so I didn't know the harmful effects of all of what I was experiencing I didn't know the depth of it until later in my teens and then in my 20s. Like I knew, I, I knew, I knew it was very obvious to me that I needed to, to help get myself and to heal. Mm, and once that awareness was downloaded and maybe it was kind of, I always feel like whenever we experience something, it's not like a quick light switch. It's like this dimmer switch that little by little. And so I, I imagine, especially if you suppress so much, I know this from my own experiences, once it starts coming up, then you're like, oh, I have to deal with this layer or this layer or this layer. And so as you started to enter your 20s and this awareness started to come up about things that were not right in your childhood, things that you did suppress, things that, you know, that's a very sophisticated coping mechanism, by the way, you know, to say, okay, well, the the students, my peers are not accepting of me, but I find, you know, content in the fact that my teachers do. I mean, that's a lot to have to process and to think through just to feel comfortable, accepted, safe, you know, any of that in, in your environment. So as that started to unpack in your twenties, what was that like? What did that journey look like? You know, it's so interesting because as I'm hearing you share right now, so much of what you're saying is resonating uh, with me. And I'm thinking about a lot of the trauma studies I have pursued over the last several years. And now my deep understanding of how as human beings, we're animals. At the end of the day, we are animals. And as animals, like any other animal, we're constantly trying to have our bodies feel safe. Like Our nervous system's primary responsibility is to keep us safe from harm. And as a child, if we constantly have negative or if we have negative or harmful experiences or experiences that shake or affect our security, our nervous systems will become conditioned at a young age to do whatever they need to do to feel safe. And so for me, numbing and like not feeling the pain and 
not crying or acting like everything was okay and not talking about my about what was happening because I didn't. I, I should share that I didn't tell my parents about the bullying. I'm sure the teachers saw it, but this is like, again, the 70s and 80s. No one was really talking about, oh, you're being bullied and it's racist. Mm-hmm. And so I just self-silenced. And so my nervous system from a young age was conditioned to be like, bad things are happening. That's okay. Just don't feel the pain and just silence about it and trudge forward. But here is the thing. Here's the thing. I always knew it's really fascinating, Karen, because when I reflect back on this, and again, I've done a lot of thinking about it because of writing my new book. I, I, two things were always with me. One that I was experiencing injustice. I knew that what was happening was wrong. I always knew that what's, what was happening was wrong. How I just, did you know? Like, was it something in your body? Was it a constant yeah. thought that kept coming up? Was it that you heard conversations, maybe even from adults? Or how, how did you know? Because I remember, and I don't remember a lot of my childhood, which is a trauma response, but I do have these nuggets that, that come to me and that I continue to hold within me. I vividly recall saying in my head, that's wrong. This is wrong. And my nervous system knew. Like, mm-hmm. here's the thing. Even as animals, when we numb and we disconnect or disassociate given painful experiences, our systems also know what joy feels like. And our systems know what flow feels like and safety and security feels like. And I was having in tandem some of those experiences. So I knew the difference. Our nervous systems know the difference between pain and fear and insecurity and mm-hmm. safety, security, and joy. And so my, I, I knew it cognitively because then I heard my mind say it and my body knew it. And actually, because I so deeply believe in this, my spirit or my soul knew it. Mm-hmm. Like I just knew the interconnectedness between me and the greater collective in the world. And I knew that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, th- and then I also knew, and this is really interesting for me, and I suspect so many people, I've heard many people, leaders, uh, greats like Oprah share this. Not only did I know that what was happening was wrong, like the bullying was wrong, but I also knew that there was something special inside me and Mm -hmm. that I was destined to do great things. I just knew that. And now what's really fascinating is that as a woman, as a woman of color, as a woman of color from South Asian background, we're not conditioned to speak this way. And it. I, like those feelings of, no, no, I deserve more and better. And I'm, I'm going to be great one day. I couldn't name that or share that until I'd see even just recently, because now as I, I'm very close to turning the big five, oh, and I'm like, F that noise. Like those days of, oh, I'm going to play small, or I'm going to hide this, or those days are done. Like, I'm like, I'm in the second, second uh, portion of my life. And as, as I'm on this side of the the age spectrum, I'm like, no, I'm going to stand fully in my power. And I just knew at a young age. And how did I know? I could, I heard it in my head Mm -hmm. and I could feel it. And I also had teachers tell me, Mm -hmm. you know, the impact of mentors, sponsors, advocates, champions from a young age, Mm -hmm. it, it just, and then of course, through my career, and it's one of my areas of expertise talking about how do we become impactful, inclusive, champions and advocates for people from across communities so that we have, we're unlocking excellence for everyone and belonging for everyone. I had some powerful people in my life say, you're amazing. Mm-hmm. But I, the, the thing is, I already knew that. 
I knew that they affirmed for me something I already knew. And so those two things that I held with me are what ultimately propelled me to start doing healing work. And so uh, one of the things I talk about, and we've got this, is that back in the, let's say, 90s, when I was a teenager, we didn't have the internet or like, yes, it existed, but we weren't going onto the internet and we we weren't, there weren't podcasts talking about healing. Like there was none of that. None but of it. I, right? Like what I had was Oprah Winfrey at 4 p.m. Eastern, yeah. uh, Monday to Friday. And I watched Oprah religiously because she was one of the only, if not the only woman of color I, I saw on TV talking about healing, talking about goodness. And I devoured her content. And it's fascinating because I was also like really nerdy um, as, as a child and I loved reading. And if you had told me back then, one day you're going to write books and they're going to be bestsellers, I would have said no. And But here we are. And so, so I should have known because I love books so much. I would watch her shows and then any of the experts she had on, I would go and buy their books. And I was like 16, 17 reading books that actually were way over my head, like Gary Zukov's Mm -hmm. Uh, the seat of the soul. Like I was set, I didn't, I like, didn't understand half of it, but it didn't matter because he was on Oprah and she loved him and he was talking about the soul. And like, so I was just like reading all kinds of stuff back then, which by and the then, way, 30 something, I didn't even understand everything in the seat of the soul. So I read it as many times as I could. And each time would learn some more. I mean, really right? enlightening. Yes. Yes, exactly. And sometimes I think to myself, oh, you know, I should go back and read the books I read back then. And what would I get? So I watched Oprah, I read the books, and then I went to university. And in university, what happened, a few things happened. First of all, I knew I wasn't okay. I knew I wasn't okay because there were patterns that were showing up in how I was interacting, like the constant stress I felt as a university student to achieve and do well. But also now that I was, I went away for school, I didn't live at home. I had found, I moved out. I had freedom to be who, un unlock who I am. And I was like, because I don't have to live by my parents' rules. I'm like free to be me. And I was struggling with who I am, but then also trying to draw boundaries with my parents. And I was just, I was in, um, I was still dating my high school sweetheart and it was not a healthy relationship. And there, there was just so much going on for me. It was, first of all, I started to see a therapist on campus at the age of 20, which began my journey with therapy. And I've now had 27 years of therapy and done healing work for 27 years, at least 27, because I was reading all those books and watching Queen O back in the day. But that was one thing that happened. And then the other thing that happened that was profound for me is that in university, I started to study the systems in society that exist that cause us to hate on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what I started to realize and learn is that I'm not inherently broken or flawed or that these negative messages I've internalized about who I am, they're not truth. They're part of systems that have been created in society by people to hold some of us back and down. Mm -hmm. And so both of those experiences in tandem really started to open up a path of deeper healing. But, you know, Karen, the last thing I'll say is that in my 20s and even in my 30s, I was still largely focusing on top-down healing. Like when I say top-down, I mean like, the mind and being analytical and focusing on talk therapy and journaling and all that. And the real magic for me happened when I started to do body-based healing. 
Mm-hmm. But, I'll, but I'll stop there because I could go on and on and on. And I and well, I've been watching you nod your head throughout. So so <laughs> I, you've been nodding your head. So okay. So so what do you think of what I just shared? I think so many things. I think so <sighs> many things. First, as you mentioned, uh, you know, women of color have definitely been conditioned to dim their light because I remember feeling this, if I were to shine too bright and that was something that was actually like, Oh, you're, well, you're too fill in the blank. And really it would be too much is really what it was saying. Right. Uh, and I remember having the same battle. And the reason I asked you, how did you know is because I think that's going to help some people. What it goes back to is that we really do know like deep inside, we know, right. We know wrong. Right. And I don't just mean good and bad because that is definitely a lot on perception as well, but no, there are some things that are very clearly good or bad or right or wrong. And what happens though, is because of the conditions of society, we start to listen more to all of these things that are outside of us instead of really paying attention to what's happening inside, which will become our guide. And as you mentioned, body and mind, because when you answered that question, you actually spoke to both how internally you knew through body or through stress, and then also how you would hear that voice. And that voice was, you know, we have two voices in our head. We have our inner critic and we have our inner guide. And so that inner guide is the one, unfortunately, that we we do suppress, um, that we do numb out, that we do ignore, but that's the one that's the closest to our truest, highest self. And the more we listen to that and cultivate that relationship, the more answers we find that are very specifically to our life journey. And what I think is so beautiful is we can come from all different walks of life as you and I do, yet we connect through some of those life experiences. We connect through the human experience, but then we connect also through these different life experiences. And by you sharing this, I know it is definitely going to help people say, oh, wait, no, there is something in my still small voice and in my inner guide that I have heard, but I've ignored for too long. And so that in itself, you know, was definitely absolutely powerful. But then as you talk about how you started this healing and good for you at 20 at a time where people were not talking about healing. I know that in itself probably came with a ton of uncertainty shame, I can imagine, because a lot of people who start with therapy, the big hurdle we have to get over is some sort of belief that something's wrong with us. And that's why we need therapy or we're broken. And that's why we need therapy. So for you to do that in a time that was not today, let's just say it that way, right, is incredible. And so my my question is, as you started to figure this out, your, your background is in law and you were also in HR, in the work space, How did you handle the healing and the growth that you were experiencing while being in an environment that was not one that is going to support your healing or your growth? Now, that's an assumption. Maybe you were in a wonderful environment that did, but I'm just wondering how you navigated that. Yeah, you know, it's such a great question, Karen, because at the root of what I want to share with you is that what I now teach leaders to do in all of my leadership work and my inclusion work and my empowerment speaking is that vulnerability as a leader and openly sharing our challenges and our struggles is actually what leadership is about. Leadership is about humility. It's about connecting with people, not just on a work widget 
churn product business. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. The, the bottom line, PL, uh, the EBITDA, like it's that's not what leadership is about. Leadership is about I see you, I feel you, and I want you to be your best you, and I want you to experience belonging. But that is not how I experienced the workplace um, as a young uh, woman of color who first became a lawyer. So I uh, I became a lawyer and I did it because I wanted to do social justice work. But then all the cool kids in school uh, and it, all the cool kids went and worked in the towers. And so I went and worked in the towers and I was lured into the towers because of the presumed elitism and status that came with it. And also the money, like I was a child of immigrants and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to make how much mm-hmm. and I can buy what? Mm-hmm. And, and which I, at every level starts to feed into that security that our brain wants. Yes. And let's go back to PPA armor. Like mm-hmm. it's like achievement means I've made it because I'm working in the towers and I'm wearing a Navy or black suit and I'm carrying like a fancy bag and I have really great shoes And then I go in and I work for hours and hours and hours and I'm billing all kinds of hours. And then I go out with everyone else who's been working for hours and hours and I have martinis at the bar and then like roll in the next day. And so I bought into that definition of success and that's that's what uh, my definition of happiness was by day and by night when I was working. But then evenings and weekends when I had slivers of time to be me and be with myself, I didn't feel that. And so I felt like I'm actually feeling spiritually vacant. I'm feeling less and less connected to who I am. I'm struggling in other relationships because in my 20s and 30s, I felt intense pressure to, as a woman to find a mate, or pick a mate, partner, spawn, all of it. Especially yeah, check all the boxes. <laughs> all of it. And let me tell you, if that is pronounced in white Canadian or white American culture, let me throw in there South Asian culture, like which should win prizes on the amount of pressure, pressure that is placed on women in our culture to settle down, settle down, get married, have children. And so the pressure that I felt to make all of this happen at once was really challenging. And I ended up living a very binary life. So let's talk about uh, the healing piece and my armor, my PPA armor. When I went to work, I was positive and I was acting perfect and I was in achievement mode. I was hiding my pain. I wasn't talking about how I I would sneak out once a week for an hour over lunch to go to see a therapist. I wasn't talking about that. I wasn't talking about how I was I was filled with shame about being in my 30s and like struggling to find someone and 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 struggling to be struggling not to be the woman who is very career oriented uh personality wise too much no wonder she can't find a man like in tandem with everything else that was happening around me and so i was living a very binary life but here's the thing so i'm doing all kinds of therapy i'm i'm doing reading and i'm i'm trying my best to heal from the harmful stuff interrupt the negative narratives i'm one of, of only a handful of women of color at my law firm, law firms. Then I I decide I hate the practice of law. I transitioned to doing legal legal talent management, which is where I started to develop my HR expertise, my leadership expertise. And now I'm leading people and I'm watching these disparities around who's getting ahead and who's not. But I also, because I'm an HR leader, also have my finger on the pulse of who's happy in their life and who's not. Because here's the thing, when you do HR, you also see patterns around what success is truly about, who's happy, who's not, 
who's in leadership roles, but are actually miserable with their existences. Like you see everything. And so I'm doing this, but I'm also having, I still have the armor on and I'm still masking and conforming who I am to a largely white male elite normative and struggling to be content and joyful. I'm still doing the therapy. And then my body starts to scream. I'm not happy. You're not happy and you're not good. And when I say my body started to scream, I was having restless sleep. I was clenching my teeth so hard at night. I cracked a tooth. My hair stopped growing. And this is like, like, like I'm talking my 20s, 30s. So it's not like I'm aging and health issues are rising because of age. Like this is like, no stress in the body. I had all kinds of digestive issues. And then what ultimately happened is I started having excruciating lower back pain, which is not normal for someone in their like 30s. And I was active, like I was working out a lot thinking that therapy and working out would heal me. And I've started having excruciating back pain and I, I associated it with sitting because I was sitting out of a chair for like 10, 12 hours a day. And my, I'm seeing all these people like a physiotherapist, chiropractor, blah, blah, blah. They're all saying to me the same thing. Ritu, you should strengthen your core. You should take up Pilates or yoga. This is like picture like 20 years ago. And I'm like, well, I'm brown. My people invented yoga. So I'm going to do yoga and all the white people around me are doing it. How hard can it be? And like, if you're doing it, like it's in my blood, I should be really good at it immediately. And I'm going to win yoga, everyone. I was so yogic. And so I take a few classes and I'm like, OMG, what the F is this? This is so hard. And I can't believe this. And I, and I, I, I start doing it and I'm like, I'm going to win this. And then I start falling in love with it. And what I realize is, oh my goodness, it give it grounds me and anchors me and roots me in a way that I in a way that I've never experienced. And I start doing more and more yoga, more and more yoga. And then I start doing weekends away at yoga retreats. And then I start taking time to do week-long yoga experiences. And then I'm like, I need a sabbatical for my job, which I did in my mid-30s. I went to I took three months off, which is unheard of in the towers at the time, and even now. And I went and I did my first yoga teacher training in India in the South. And spent two months there with random strangers where two things happened. First of all, and I talk about this in my book, I get there and they give us a uniform and I'm like, I put the uniform on and then I'm like meeting people from around the world there to be become yoga teachers. I, I wasn't going to become a teacher. I just wanted to go and study and deepen my mm -hmm. practice. But I'm like, I heard myself say, who are you going to be while you're here with all these strangers? And I didn't know who to be because there were so many Ritu personas that I have cr had created and I didn't know which persona to take on. And I heard, I had this like debate in my head for a few days. And what it led me to understand is, wow, I don't even know who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing that really struck me about that experience that I want to share. But the other thing that is worth sharing is it literally changed my life because when I came back, I was like, not only now into a deep understanding of how healing for me was going to be about body-based healing, not just the mind and bring it, bringing it together in a holistic way and using my body as an all-knowing anchor and guide on everything. Because in every single moment, my body is telling me about what is right, what is my truth, what my body needs and wants, mm -hmm. rather than overriding with my mind and allowing my inner critic and sab saboteur to shut me down. <laughs> I'm going to use my body as an inner guide on everything, a guidepost. Mm -hmm. And I admitted when I came back that the Ritu who was revealed to me 
Oh, it's going to make me emotional. The Ritha who's revealed to me at the ashram now, 15 years ago, I was going to be with her and cultivate her and grow her and just have her shine and everything I did. And here we are. And, you know, uh, the last thing I'll say is that, you know, here we are. I, I quit my job on Bay Street akin to your Wall Street in the U.S. I started my own leadership DI consultancy. I've written two books, like I've like all the external forms of affirmation that we would call success, like monetarily, awards-wise, media-wise, all that, like, yes, tick, tick, tick. But that, to me, what I realize is less relevant. What is, for me, far more important is that I finally don't give a fuck about what people think. I could care less. I'm like, I am going to unapologetically do me and be me and love me and embrace me and feel amazing about me, the good, bad, and the ugly, because it's all there, because I am human. And I just don't care anymore. I just don't care. And that is liberating. And by the way, and and, and, because I'm very straight up about this, and again, you'll see this and we've got this. I'm not saying that my life is perfect. In fact, I struggle every day. I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed. Sometimes, like the last three years of the pandemic, I don't know if I was coming or going. I had all kinds of mental health challenges. Like, just physical health challenges, like all of it. My life is far from perfect, but there is no such thing as perfect. And frankly, this is life. The being anchored to who we are, being who we are as much as possible while the good and the bad swirl around us. That is what for me life is now about. And I'm just so grateful that I get to Mm -hmm. finally be able to say this because you had told little Ritu at the age of 12, when she was crying behind the portables by herself, living a private hell, that one day this is what it would look like for me. I would have said, I, I hear you because I feel that that's what I deserve and I'm, I'm worthy of. I just can't see it or feel it. But here I am. Mm. I'm getting teary-eyed too, Ritu. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And this audience knows that I cry on almost any <laughs> situation that is that is moving, that I feel. And as you're, as you're sharing your story, so many different things are are coming up. One is I've had many guests on this show, women very specifically, who have shared that one of the biggest changes that came in their life that helped to launch them into a space of, I can be my authentic self, which also aligns with authentic work. It's not just me about like, oh, I can be who I want to be, but it's like, also doing work that feeds my soul that I know is going to serve the world because my soul is saying, I have something for you to give to the world. And I'm not going to conform by the things I need just to get a paycheck, but I'm going to pursue that. And when they got to that point of tension, it always manifested into physical sickness. Stress overtook their body. They were, you know, whether they were violently ill whether they were getting CAT scans and the doctors couldn't figure out what was happening. I mean, so many different stories of this. And you're right that your body will tell you and will send you signals when something is good or bad. And we need to learn how to develop, again, that relationship with ourself and also, again, to trust ourselves that when we get those signals, when we get those warning signs, that we can then adjust as necessary. We can release what is not serving us. We can lean into the things that nurture us. Like we can do all of that as as we start to pay attention. And then the other thing that I think is so striking about this is that a lot of people who find their way to the work that they feel very called to do had signs of it along the way. 
And the signs weren't always good. They weren't always, you know, the positive omens as uh, they talk about in, in the alchemists. They're also very challenging moments, you know, that come up that, that help us to kind of get on this path. But one of the things that we have to overcome because, you know, this growth and this healing process, it's not just about the things that you need to do or the things that you need to learn. It's about the things you need to stop doing and the things you need to unlearn as well. Right. And so as we navigate through all of that, I think we all kind of find ourselves challenging our idea of what the perfect human, but mostly the perfect version of me would look like. And I remember reading the four agreements and feeling very moved by how we start Start to create this ideal version of perfection and why that even like how that's ingrained in us at a young age, but then also why we continue to agree with something that is so far from our truth. And so as I think about that, you know, I wonder in your own story, and then I would like to, to move into how this is translating to your work, but in your own story, what were some of the most significant things that you needed to stop doing and that you needed to unlearn in order to get rid of that idea of perfection and really just step into the fullness and the beauty beauty of Ritu. First of all, Karen, I think we could be best friends. I think <laughs> it's important that we remain in touch and uh, it's bad we don't live in the same city, but it's okay because we have Zoom. Okay. So, okay. So, so that, that being said, you know, it's really interesting because I'm having it. So I, I finished writing, we've got this last year. Uh, the, uh, it's the book is printed. It's going to be released in June. And the last chapter of my new book, is called There's Nothing Wrong With Me and There Never Was. And I share a story about something that I experienced in group therapy during the pandemic. But that sentence, there's nothing wrong with me and there never was. I have been thinking about that statement for years and years now, like decades. And the reason is because I just always thought there was something wrong with me. You mentioned earlier being too much because a woman is a woman of color. I can't tell you as a woman of color, who's extroverted, opinionated, sassy, feisty, loud. I can't tell you how many times people have either directly said or indirectly intimated that I'm too much. I'm difficult. Mm -hmm. I'm flawed. I'm broken. They don't like me. They reject me because of there's something wrong with me because I'm too much. And I believed it. I believed it forever. And even though I would say that sentence to myself, I still believed it. And it would show up in how I was behaving. And when I say I believed in it, it was showing up in how I was behaving. Our pursuit of perfection individually and collectively, but individually, is about feeling broken. And like something is wrong with us because when we accept ourselves for who we are, we no longer need to be perfect. We don't even, there's not even a vision of perfect anymore. Yeah. There's not we're even a thing. Yep. We're yep. like, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. I don't actually care what you think. And for the people who I do care what they actually truly think, if there's something that I'm doing that is upsetting you, please tell me so that I can work to adjust it. But ultimately, I don't care what the greater populace has to say or blah, 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 blah. And I'm not going to buy into the system that's been designed to oppress me anyways. Mm -hmm. And so I now realize my pursuit of perfection was about feeling like something's wrong with me. 
And what, the more I have done my body-based healing work, the beautiful thing about this moment that I've now arrived to is increasingly, I no longer am just thinking, there's nothing wrong with you, Rithu. There's nothing wrong with you. I'm feeling it. Mm -hmm. So my soul and my spirit and my body is like, there is nothing wrong with me. I am not too much. And in fact, Rithu Basin, you go on with your bad self and you do you as much as possible because people love you. Yes. And for the, you know, like it's like it's like a magnet of positive energy. And by the way, for the people for whom I am too much, well, there's a few options here, a few things happening. It's the yeah, maybe my personality is too much for you. And you know what? That's okay. You don't have to like me. You don't have to be around me. You don't have to consume my stuff. It's okay. I wish you well. Love and peace. I wish you well. But I've also realized that for a lot of people, when we are around those who emanate a lot of light and strength and force, it's a reminder for us at the work we have yet to do, or it can feel intimidating it's a mirror and it can be really uncomfortable. And for some people, rather than doing the work, there might be the inclination to want to tear the person down. And, and I, I get that because we're human and it's part of our capitalistic society, the structured hierarchical society that we belong in. I get why there's a desire to tear people down to get ahead, but tearing others down will only lead to fleeting moments of happiness. It won't lead to life anchoring and joy. And so I'm increasingly realizing like a lot of my ways of being have been vilified by systems of inequities that are rooted in power, privilege, supremacy. And it's actually not me that there's a problem. There's, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with me. The system is the problem. In addition to people tearing me down because they have their own healing work to do. And so the only thing that I need to do in these moments is just anchor to the fact that I am beautiful. I am love. I am light. There's nothing wrong with me. And the shit that is wrong with me, frankly, because there is a long list. I'd be, I, I'm not going to deny that. I mean, hello. <laughs> sometimes I annoy myself. Not sometimes, all the time. It's not destructive and potent. I'm not ruining the world. And mm -hmm. so it's like the catastrophic feelings I was having that I'm, there's something so wrong with me. It's like, no, there's not. Mm -hmm. I'm just a girl who's trying to live her best life and bring others along for the ride and trying to like, you know, have fun and just, just be joyous as much as I can. And, and there, like, that is a beautiful thing. And that is all we can all try to do. And so the shift from just thinking about how we're wonderful how mm -hmm. oh, I am wonderful and I am worthy and I am lovable. The shift from thinking it to feeling it, mm -hmm. actually feeling it to my core is for me, has been for me a transformative experience and one that I'm still on a journey of. Like, let me tell mm -hmm. you, my, my new thing is I really want to start to feel more peace inside me. Mm -hmm. And I think that the more I do this body-based healing work, the more I will be able to feel the peace because I will start to let go. Like I've already let go of the positivity thing. I'm like, I don't feel pressure to be happy when I'm not. In fact, I'm oftentimes a cranky bitch. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the perfection thing I've like largely let go of. I'm like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. uh, but the achievement piece I'm still struggling with. And I feel like as I do more body-based healing work, mm -hmm. that, that deep 
conditioning around achieve, achieve, achieve more, more, more. I will let, I'll start to let go of it so that I can feel peace because that's what I want on the back half of this life journey that I'm on. I want to feel more peace and I don't want to just wait till my seventies to feel it. I want to feel it in my Mm fifties. So that's what I'm gunning for. Yeah. I read this in um, an article recently and it was like, we don't want to strive so hard that we're not thriving. You know, we don't want to sacrifice today because we're trying to build tomorrow. Like we don't want to go through all, like we want to love where we are, but I think I've seen my journey unfold into different chapters of like, there was healing, you know, especially as I started to become more aware that there's a lot of healing that I need to do, but then also based on personal life experiences as well. And then it was like, I moved into this new season of growth. Now growth does sometimes still go back to healing as it ties to, you know, something, a particular area. But for the most part, as I fully embody that I will be growing for the rest of my life because I will be, you know, experiencing different things. I will be put in different situations. I will come up against different personalities. I will constantly be growing, but do I have peace with myself as I go through these different seasons of life? Do I have peace with who I am and how I'm responding to the world around me? Because ultimately, I mean, we know this and I know my listeners know this too. That's all that we can really control. We're not going to be able to control these different systems that have been put in place for hundreds and thousands of years. We can do our best to make a positive impact on what's happening around us, but we can't get so caught up in the stress of trying to change all of this. Instead, redirecting to, well, what can I do right now in in my space, in this corner of the world that I share with these other, you know, humans and the way that you've done that, I think is so beautiful. And I want to touch on this before we wrap, because I think what becomes very overwhelming in this conversation around DE&I is that people minimize even a small effort you know, I think, well, that's not going to be enough. It's not going to change everything. It's not going to change, even if they're thinking of everything as their organization, maybe it's not the world. And so because of that, they just kind of, you know, stick with what they know, or they just go with how things are are currently established. So what advice would you give to someone, you know, who may not feel like they're in a position of power to make meaningful change in their, in their workplace, but how they can make an impact considering diversity, equity, inclusion, and empowerment, which I love how you tie into your work. What advice would you give to that person? Yeah. You know, I, I, so much of what you had just uh, shared really deeply connects with me. I forever have felt like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. I'm like, oh, but I have to like, you know, whether it's interrupting anti-Black racism or interrupting transphobia or like all the darkness of the conflict war around the world to the environment to it can just be so overwhelming like sometimes i'm like it is so overwhelming i just can't and then i have to remind myself that being inclusive being kind being rooted in goodness being a leader it doesn't have to be so macro as that i'm going to change the environment and change the world and stop conflict every single for every single person and on every inch of this planet just has to happen in every interaction that I have and like in every experience that I have. And so it's like every time I'm mean to the Uber driver, which has happened a lot because my score is bad and I'm improving it. It's like, I have to remember that I pass along negative energy, or if I'm really kind to my Uber driver, then I'm passing along kindness and the kindness ripples. And so it's like in every interaction, 
we have, we get to choose how we want to be. And so I would say for me, the most important thing, and the thing that gives me the most peace when I think about the magnitude of what is out there, it's like every drop in the ocean matters, but I just really need to worry on immediately about like what's around me. So like how I am with you, Karen, or how I am with my Uber driver, and I am working on it, everyone. I, just, I get stressed when I'm late because then it gets in the way of achievement. And, you know, I already told you about my achievement problem. <laughs> but I'm working on it. And like just reminding myself that how I treat my team, how I treat my clients, how I treat a random stranger on the street, all of these micro acts help to feed into the collective ripple effect of the ocean. And that's what matters the most. And so I think if we take it from that, oh my God, macro pressure, just the micro, just mm-hmm. micro, it can be really liberating. Mm-hmm. There's a book that I love called The Great Work of Your Life by Stephen Cope. And in it, it's a statement that really is anchored in my heart because it helped me to not let that overwhelm, you know, and listen, one, if you're an empath, you're going to feel this. You're going to feel like, oh, I feel the weight of the world, all the pressures. And then also if your work is tied to the greater good of humanity, you also, you can't turn that off. And so this statement was, you can't save the whole world, but you can serve your corner of the world well. And I use that in all my keynotes because as though we want to see change in this world, but change starts with us. And it may not just be the way that we change how we interact with others. Maybe the way that change starts with you, dear listener, is the way that you're interacting with yourself, the way you treat yourself, the way you see yourself, the way you love yourself. Because the way that you treat other people is a direct reflection of how you feel about yourself, which is the closest, most intimate relationship that you will ever have in your lifetime. Ritu, you are an, a beautiful example of someone who is changing the world because they first changed the relationship with their self. And thank you for that. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me and creating this space for us to share energy in this way and for all of the ripple effects of the work that you're doing, because this is so beautiful. And to everyone tuning in, thank you for choosing to engage with us because there's so many other things that you can be doing and that you chose to spend time with us is so beautiful and humbling. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My heart is exploding with gratitude oh, and I can feel, and I can feel the tears behind my eyeballs. Yes. <laughs> well, we are not going to let this good energy stop here. We will make sure that your book and all of your fabulous work is linked in the show notes. Yeah, we've got this. I love the title. I love the title. Thank so you. we'll definitely make sure that that is all linked in the show notes, because by the time you're hearing this show, dear listener, it will be available for purchase. Ritu, thank you again for your time. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you everyone for tuning in. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcast. 